So first of all, uh, good morning, good afternoon, and uh, good evening to everyone uh, present here. Hope you're enjoying uh, Sankalp as much as uh, we are enjoying organizing it. Uh, thank you for joining the session on uh, building a resilient uh, private sector through impact investments in frontier economies. Today, uh, we have a spotlight on uh, Mozambique. Joining us today are uh, five uh, eminent speakers. We have uh, Ian Krohn, who is the director at uh, Third Way Africa, which is uh, one of the major private impact investors in uh, Mozambique. Ian has uh, over 10 years of uh, business and development experience in uh, Southern Africa. Primarily in uh, Mozambique, uh, Renewable Energy Association. Emmet has over uh, 10 years uh, of experience in various roles in the development, social enterprise, and impact investing sectors. In his uh, current role as the Secretary General of uh, the Mozambique and Renewable Energy Association, Emmet is uh, contributing to the incubation of a vibrant uh, sector and uh, ecosystem, uh, also promoting energy access and renewable energy in uh, Mozambique. We also have uh, Sarah Fakir, uh, who is the co-founder of uh, Idea Labs, which is one of the largest incubators in Mozambique. I think Sarah has over 15 years of uh, experience in uh, business management and development. Uh, she's also worked in the oil and gas uh, consulting and the development uh, sector industries. So she has uh, a wide experience across sectors that Mozambique is interested in. Uh, Sarah is also a member of uh, AMBA. AMBA is the Mozambican Angel, uh, Angel Association, which is the first angel association uh, within the country. We also have uh, Ms. Grace uh, Horner, who is the Director of uh, Relationships for uh, Africa with uh, Development Finance Corporation. She previously worked with uh, USAID's uh, Development Credit Authority before the launch of TFC as uh, US government's uh, Development Finance Institution in 2019. In her role, uh, I think Grace manages a portfolio of uh, partial credit guarantees and other uh, financial transactions throughout Africa, uh, which are designed to facilitate the mobil mobilization of uh, private capital towards underserved sectors. Before joining uh, DCA, Grace worked with uh, US Global Development Lab at uh, USAID. And finally, a uh, special thanks to uh, Tara Sebre Collier for uh, graciously agreeing to moderate this session. Tara is an early stage uh, impact investor, uh, social entrepreneur in residence at uh, the Said School of Said Business School, Oxford, and also the gender lead at uh, Shell Foundation. She has over a decade of uh, international experience across impact investment, international development, and uh, management consulting. First, thank you all uh, for joining us. We're grateful that uh, you could uh, join us for this discussion today. Today's session is a part of uh, a larger uh, project uh, undertaken by the International Development Research Center and IntelliCAP on uh, promoting a resilient and inclusive uh, private sector in uh, frontier economies with a focus on uh, Sierra Leone, Somalia, and Mozambique. Today, we would be focusing uh, specifically on Mozambique, where uh, despite the private sector's growth, economic growth, and ripeness, investments are currently low due to both perceived as well as uh, real risks that we would be talking about. There has been very limited research on the impact investing uh, landscape, I would say, in Mozambique and uh, the opportunities the country affords to uh, both foreign as well as uh, domestic investors. The project at hand uh, intends to showcase uh, businesses and uh, business and investment opportunities in Mozambique uh, by providing a landscape of both uh, 
private impact enterprises and uh, impact investments, including the ecosystem uh, support organizations. I would like to start uh, the session with a few data points which depict the current uh, investment ecosystem in the country, along with the challenges faced by uh, various uh, stakeholders. I would just be uh, sharing my uh, screen right now for a small presentation. For this project, uh, the team uh, relied on both uh, desk research and uh, findings from uh, uh, primary interviews uh, with around 40 conversations with impact enterprises, investors, and uh, ecosystem support organizations uh, from the country. So uh, this is a summary of uh, our discussions with uh, most of the impact enterprises. Most of them have, uh, have been operational for less than five years, are, paid, are headquartered in the capital city of uh, Maputo, have not been able to raise uh, external funding. And even if they have been able to raise external funding, it has been through a grant or an aid. And uh, many of them often seek uh, technical assistance, support from uh, uh, any of the investors that they raise. Majority of them are unaware of the term uh, impact investment and are really not sure about uh, the process of, uh, uh, what do you say, how the investors source uh, enterprises for uh, funding. And uh, many of them also do not prefer taking bank loans due to high interest rates and the need for collateral, which we would uh, discuss furthermore uh, in, the, in, in the course of the discussion. Secondly, we have, uh, so coming to the challenges uh, faced by uh, the private sector enterprises. So again, I mean, uh, this is just a broad uh, spectrum of challenges. Of course, there are many more challenges uh, apart from these, but uh, the primary one is uh, the access to finance. It remains a major issue for uh, enterprises in Mozambique uh, with a high financing gap observed in the country. The rate of lending for, uh, I think, SMEs and agricultural producers is close to 25 to 30%, uh, which is prohibitively expensive, thereby restricting uh, growth and profits for these enterprises. This is especially true for uh, the impact sectors, such as agriculture, healthcare, clean energy, which have a longer repayment period in comparison to other sectors. Banks and other financial institutions also have a strict eligibility criteria for loan disbursals, which is only met by some of the larger enterprises. And uh, most of the smaller enterprises, especially in the impact sectors, do not have the collateral to pledge with the banks and as such are not eligible for these uh, loans. Then you also have a uh, lack of infrastructure. I mean, you have very low access to electricity, poor road network and underdeveloped water infrastructure. The business growth potential remains uh, constrained. And despite having one of the largest uh, energy potentials in Africa, only probably around one in four citizens of the country have access to on-grid electricity. Uh, the situation is even uh, I mean, um, not so great in rural areas where probably, where probably less than 10% of the population have access to electricity. This is a major impediment for farmers and enterprises alike. And the country has, uh, the country also faces a lot of challenges with respect to logistics and has uh, one of the lowest uh, uh, road coverages in Africa. Then you have uh, lack of government support towards SMEs. Now, I mean, uh, the government of Mozambique has, is very much interested in attracting uh, foreign direct investments, but is more focused towards attracting FDI in at a larger scale, say, for example, in the oil and natural gas and the mining sectors, which increase the overall GDP. So it's a big bank uh, FDI investments rather than uh, 
small scale investments and but these investments have largely failed to create a downstream opportunities for uh, the small and medium enterprises of the country then you have the scarcity of human uh, trained human resources i mean despite education levels uh, in the country they have remained low uh, resulting in uh, scarcity of uh, and inadequate uh, human resource capacity the government of mozambique has uh, recently i mean it's committed itself to investing in education and uh, i think has uh, i mean allocated more than around 6.5% of its budget towards education which is pretty high for uh, in that region and i think uh, this will lead to a rapid uh, increase in institutions of higher learning and along with a focus on uh, technical and uh, vocational education all right now i just want to get into some of the what do you say more uh, data driven points with regards to the impact investing landscape in uh, mozambique so this is a study that we have done and we have tried to uh, collate all of the information that is available both from secondary as well as uh, primary sources now this might not be an exhaustive uh, list i mean but frankly speaking this is one of the first studies uh, in mozambique which uh, collated all of this information so i'm sure we'll keep adding to this there is a significant mismatch between uh, demand and supply of uh, impact capital in mozambique impact sectors including agriculture healthcare uh, renewable energy and others are often bootstrapped and grow organically impact investors have invested a total of almost 4 billion dollars across 165 deals and the majority of these investments have been through the development financial institutions we will talk about more of them in detail now when it comes to dfis i mean dfis play a significant role in the development of impact sectors across mozambique dfis have invested more than 3.2 billion dollars and more than 72% of the deals are directed towards uh, the energy sector i'm sure emmet uh, will speak uh, more about that uh, uh, apart from energy agriculture and fisheries has the largest number of uh, deals when it comes to the number of deals uh, i mean uh, regarding uh, average sizes if you see obviously agriculture and fisheries has a very small uh, average deal size uh, some of the development uh, dfi such as uh, gapi have uh, also uh, worked towards uh, creation of uh, youth entrepreneurship initiatives uh, such as you have the agro jovem project which has resulted in the creation of almost 120 new companies and uh, creating more than 600 jobs uh, in the country uh, so those are also some of the indirect investments uh, that have happened in the country then you have uh, the investments that are used by uh, dfis uh, i mean dfis have invested uh, through many of uh, i mean debt equity you have blended financing and all of those but blended finance instruments have been utilized to a great extent by dfis operating in mozambique i mean 18 uh, in deals totaling almost 300 million dollars i mean majority of these uh, more than obviously more than 90% have been invested in the energy financial services and uh, manufacturing sectors while a majority of them have been uh, a combination of uh, debt and equity some of them have also included uh, technical assistance and uh, risk management as a part of uh, the blended financing which is actually great to see and uh, apart from that we also have uh, credit guarantees they have been uh, i mean one of the more popular uh, Uh, instruments uh, dfis have used uh, to try and increase uh, financial coverage to enterprises you have we primarily have uh, dfc as well as uh, cida cida is the swedish international development cooperation agency 
they have been very active in the usage of uh, credit guarantees to create an impact on uh, the development sectors in Mozambique. Uh, financial institutions are generally averse to lending to SMEs uh, within the country as uh, they are view, viewed as very uh, risky uh, endeavor. But these credit guarantees often include, uh, they, they cushion the blow that uh, financial institutions might take in case of non-repayment. These credit guarantees often are uh, accompanied by uh, technical assistance that's provided as a way to safeguard their investments and uh, provide value addition to SMEs uh, within the country. Again, now if we are to talk about uh, donors, donors are generally sector agnostic. I mean, they prefer to support uh, enterprises uh, uh, which can create uh, most impact, uh, in, including uh, in the agriculture and fisheries sector, healthcare and clean energy. Most of the donor investments have been towards supporting the government of Mozambique in various sectoral programs, and only a very small portion of it was dedicated towards helping the private sector directly. So all of these deals that you say, we're not saying that only, uh, what do you say, 100 odd million uh, was invested by the donor community. Obviously, the official development uh, assistance, which is the ODA, is, in, is more than $1.5 billion to Mozambique. But this is uh, the direct assistance to the private uh, private sector uh, within the country. Now, as expected, I mean, majority of uh, the donor community have uh, invested in uh, technical assistance programs. I think it constitutes for more than 65% of the total transactions. This is primarily due to the low level of uh, support available for uh, impact enterprises uh, across the country. Donors also have, uh, I mean, donors in Mozambique have uh, provide grants through say, competitions and uh, call for applications, which is actually very much, uh, I think yesterday we listened to uh, uh, an enterprise from uh, Somalia, even in that country, I mean, uh, primarily the first stage assistance is often uh, very important uh, for the growth of the company. Then uh, coming to the private sector, I mean, we have, uh, again, agriculture and fisheries are the major sectors of investment when it comes to the number of deals. But obviously, energy has uh, a larger uh, investment uh, because of the need for it. And uh, most of the investments in energy have been in renewable energy across wind and solar power plants. I'm sure uh, we would talk uh, more about this. In While talking about uh, impact, pri private impact investors' instruments, I mean, uh, the impact inter sector enterprises are still in nascent stages and require uh, small ticket uh, investments. Most of the impact enterprises belonging to agriculture, fisheries, they require investments of, say, for example, less than 50,000 USD or 100,000 USD. Equity here remains a dominant form of investments across impact sectors. Some of the investors, uh, we have uh, the Bera Agriculture Growth Corridor uh, Fund, or they have provided, uh, they've also provided uh, concessional capital, which is a 0% debt and innovation grants to uh, agricultural enterprises. Uh, over here, I just want to talk about uh, for 30 seconds about uh, the angel investment landscape, which is at a pretty nascent stage in uh, Mozambique at the moment. The AMBA, which is the Association of uh, Mozambique Angels, was uh, formed in 2019 to provide uh, advocacy, brokering, and uh, investment facilitation uh, for uh, the impact enterprises or enterprises in general. Individuals can buy into the fund. Uh, the fund was created. There have been uh, investors into the fund. But unfortunately, with the advent of uh, COVID, uh, I mean, the operations of the fund had to be postponed uh, for a year. 
uh, we have Sara Fakir, who is also a member of AMBA, to talk more about uh, the aims and aspirations of AMBA in the next uh, couple of years. Uh, private side impact investors have been wary of investing in Mozambique uh, due to a number of reasons, including you have the currency fluctuations, you have certain level of political instability, you have the high cost of capital in domestic markets. Uh, the hidden debt scandal uh, has also uh, has a huge impact on the confidence of uh, impact investors in the country. Uh, the last investors, uh, such as we have Third Way Africa, have tried raising funds to invest in the agriculture sector. And in order to overcome the hassle of fundraising in a defined time period, uh, they have set up a permanent capital uh, vehicle to invest across various sectors. Uh, we have Ian Krohn from uh, Third Way Africa to take us through the journey of uh, investing in uh, Mozambique. And uh, finally, let's, I mean, I just want to talk about uh, some of the challenges, although I think we'll be hearing it uh, from the investors themselves. Uh, fluid political systems and uh, coupled with violence and security issues are seen as uh, major investments for, uh, uh, for investors by looking to invest in the country. Investors do not have the confidence. I mean, it's not that there is uh, uh, there are major security issues in the country, but investors simply do not have the confidence that major policy changes wouldn't be bought in by, say, for example, the next government, uh, which would affect their investments. The violence in the northernmost part of uh, Mozambique in the Cabo Delgado province has the potential to derail some of the investments and uh, investors fear it might spread across. Now, again, this is where we talk about the perceived risk, if not the real risk. Then we have lack of legal instruments for creation of a fund. I think, Cindy, uh, I mean, uh, this is again a regulatory aspect which has to be dealt by the government. And I believe Mozambique government is in the process of uh, drafting new laws for it. We have a real problem with uh, syndication in the country, which is the creation of a new fund. Uh, and uh, there is a restriction on creation of investment funds in Mozambique. Then we have bureaucracy. Again, I mean, this is a problem that we have in most of the developing uh, countries. Uh, Mozambique has actually created uh, APX, which is the investment promotion agency uh, of the country. And uh, again, there is an APX which is supposed to function and which is supposed to help out all of the investors. But more or less, uh, during our conversations, we found that only the bigger investors seem to be getting a lot of support uh, from the agency and not a lot of uh, smaller in, uh, investors have been uh, getting a lot of support. Next thing is the corporate governance. I think uh, this is an issue which has plagued uh, many of uh, the developing countries. It is cited by investors as a major challenge while investing in the country. The enterprises often lack uh, records uh, showcasing uh, source of funds, the revenue receipt, audited financials, and all of that. And uh, when it comes to investing, BFIs have a much more stringent uh, corporate governance uh, procedure and requirements. And uh, most of the enterprises do not possess these documents. And as a result, uh, often end up without uh, investor financing, uh, which can catapult their business to the next level. Then the last one, I mean, again, uh, we the lack of adequate pipeline of enterprises. Uh, Many of the enterprises are not present uh, on the ground in Mozambique, uh, and uh, this leads to a high cost of acquisition of uh, possible enterprises. But I think uh, one way one way they're trying to mitigate these uh, this challenge is uh, largely depending on uh, the incubators and accelerators for uh, investment leads or uh, donor agencies and NGOs who have a presence on the ground. Uh, well, I mean uh, those are some of the challenges. 
now lastly i would leave you with uh, some of the quotes uh, that uh, that we received from some of the people during our uh, conversations again not to say that uh, these are the only challenges but uh, we have tried and uh, what you presented to it to you in a very crisp uh, fashion due to lack of uh, time but uh, that is it from our end um, from my end basically i would like to hand it over to uh, ms tara to continue the discussion hi everyone um thanks arish for uh, a great uh, context setting. I'll do a bit more context setting before we open up to the the rest of the panel to really dig into practitioner insights, uh, especially from on the ground. As you alluded to, it's surprising how little impact capital goes to Mozambique, um, considering it's the 190th by some counts, uh, lowest GDP per capita in the world. But at this precipice of massive growth, if it's security, legal, regulatory, and ecosystem barriers for key sectors can be circumvented, um, which is where impact capital can really be transformative and catalytic. But yet, the impact capital is still not really flowing there in the way that you would expect. I mean, you mentioned this figure of a $3 billion in impact capital over about 20 years. But when you compare that to $45 billion in one year in FDI going to um, Africa, or $150 billion in total development aid globally uh, in one year, uh, you see how in, in the past 20 years, Mozambique has been um, really underserved. Um, despite the vast potential. I mean, the gas reserves, and this is just one sector, um, there's some estimates that it could double or triple GDP per capita in our lifetime if it all goes well. Uh, why would this not be a hot spot like Kenya, South Africa? Well, we know a few reasons for that. Um, the legal framework and the business enabling environment are not are certainly not up to scratch compared to some of the countries like Mauritius or even the East African neighbors. Um, we also know that a lot of impact capital comes from the English speaking world and tends to favor English speaking um, Africa. And to be frank, we're missing out on um, a huge opportunity for both um, economic and commercial gains and impact. When you consider the GDP growth potential that I've already alluded to, when you consider the potentially impressive gains that can come from energy, uh, which can then spur manufacturing, which can then spur the agriculture sector, and given the geostrategic positioning of Mozambique, being able to access South Africa, being able to access East Africa, um, obviously, the Indian Ocean, there's so much agriculture and export potential, which I'm sure Third Way Africa can uh, speak to. There's so much tourism potential. Um, and yet, um, there are really, really scary risks that have kept uh, foreign direct investment at bay. And there's several barriers which have kept impact capital at bay. But ultimately, it's our sector, it's the impact investors that will be the ones for any market that's um, underserved or at the frontier. It's us that we're the ones that need to step up to take the risks to build the field, especially catalytic funders like foundations, which I uh, represent, to build the field, to prove the exit strategies for our counterparts in PEVC, to de-risk intermediaries such as GPs, 
Um, and eventually the whole continuum of capital can come online um, if we can start first step up. And that's why I'm so delighted to have all of the stakeholders on this call today who are stepping up in unique ways, whether it's from a sector angle, like for the energy sector for Emmanuel or the agriculture sector for Third Way, um, or whether it's in terms of building new kinds of um, financial intermediaries um, and products or um, building the ecosystem on the ground the way that Sarah is doing with IDEA Lab. So, uh, with that said, I'm really excited to um, be here with all of you, consider all of these factors going on in the landscape, consider uh, the strategies that we are currently testing and applying on the ground um, and the way forward. Uh, so that said, I'm gonna start off with a question for Grace uh, from DFC. Um, first of all, congratulations on DFC with the a new name and new mandate under a new administration, Grace. Um, exciting things coming, especially with DFC's um, role in the 2X challenge um, and so many of the other financial innovations you guys are spearheading. We know that you guys, DFC, provide gar credit guarantees to banks, which then expands lending to enterprises in the impact sectors. Um, but we have also here, and this is particularly in the case of a country like Mozambique that's trying to diversify uh, its economy, um, that there's a lack of diversity in the enterprises seeking loans, i.e. local commercial banks tending to lend to the same enterprises, same sectors, um, which is further exacerbated by the fact that um, in the banking system in Mozambique, there can be a really long bureaucratic process uh, really limited uh, lending outside of the urban areas. So given all of these caveats, how does DFC view the advantages and challenges associated with providing credit guarantees to financial institutions um, in Mozambique? And how are you thinking about adapting your strategy in Mozambique going forward? Thanks, Tara, and uh, it's, it's such a pleasure to be here with you all today to discuss uh, Mozambique and particularly our experiences uh, with credit guarantees there. Um, I should note up front that, you know, obviously uh, the DFC has a variety of different financing tools. My role focuses on credit guarantees primarily, um, but, you know, we have debt, political risk insurance, equity products, all available uh, to use in Mozambique. Um, but we do have quite a long history of providing risk-sharing credit guarantees to local financial institutions in Mozambique, originally under USAID's Development Credit Authority, um, now obviously with the DFC. And we continue to think they are a really important and powerful tool um, for a variety of reasons, although they come with many of the, the challenges that you mentioned. Um, I think first and foremost, you know, they credit guarantees are mobilizing private capital and in that way contributing towards building sustainable commercial financing for SMEs in Mozambique. I think you know, that has to be the ultimate end goal. And even if we're not necessarily there yet, we must continue to think about how we can unlock um, commercial financing and, and make it work for, for impact enterprises. Um, and particularly um, one area where I think our guarantee is really powerful is that it can guarantee local currency lending. Um, and that is often most appropriate for, for certain businesses. As a DFI, it's hard for many DFIs to provide that um, ourselves. 
um, but our guarantee can be applied to local currency loans um, and therefore allows us to support the provision of, of that type of financing. Um, the credit guarantee also acts um, as a direct collateral substitute in many cases. And as Harish highlighted um, off the top, uh, we see that as such a huge barrier um, in Mozambique uh, in particular. Um, you know, land is, is often very difficult to use as collateral. The collateral requirements are so high. So when there is a way for the, the guarantee to address that specific constraint, I think that can be very powerful. Um, I've seen case, a case where a business you know, was able to get a loan under our guarantee um, where they didn't have sufficient capital, uh, sorry, collateral otherwise, and then were able to use that loan to uh, build assets that then could be used as collateral for future loans that weren't guaranteed. So that's kind of the ideal case of, of sustainability and how the guarantee can act as a catalyst. Um, but obviously it, it doesn't always occur that way um, for a lot of, of the reasons you mentioned. Um, so I think what's important to keep in mind is that, you know, the, guarantee, the credit guarantee is addressing one piece of a very large puzzle of uh, access to finance. Um, and the key is, is designing, you know, this product in a way and deploying it in a way where it's being complemented by, by some other interventions and other uh, tools to, to try to look at the, the picture as a whole. So one thing we're looking at, I mean, this is something we've, we've already done in the past, but what we really are committed to is is making sure our guarantees can be paired with technical assistance, um, both to at the SME level to assist SMEs in becoming credit worthy or often demonstrating their credit worthiness, which may already exist, but in a way that makes sense to banks and, and fits in banks requirements, um, as well as technical assistance uh, to banks themselves and financial institutions themselves um, to help them build loan products that are geared towards SMEs um, structure appropriate risk assessment criteria, credit assessment policies, um, et cetera, simplify procedures. Um, I think that's, that's really been proven to, to be a, a, an effective strategy. We also, um, you know, something we've done in the past, but, but we'll continue to do is, is looking at how we can, you know, build in specific targets and requirements to our credit guarantees to ensure that diversification is occurring. Um, you know, having a certain percentage must of, of loans go to new borrowers or to women borrowers or to borrowers outside of urban areas are all things that we've, we've done and, and will continue to do um, with our, our credit guarantee product. Um, but then finally, I think we also do re recognize that, you know, commercial bank financing, even with a guarantee, um, isn't always the best option um, for impact enterprises. So uh, we are very interested in how we can apply the credit guarantee tool um, with other types of institutions outside of commercial banks. Um, we've worked with microfinance institutions in the past, uh, have seen some success there, um, but also investment funds. This isn't something we've done in Mozambique. We've done it elsewhere, but I think it, it has high potential to apply our guarantee either, either at the, the level of investors coming into a fund or on the underlying investments. Um, but regardless, I think can be um, effectively used there as well to, to de-risk uh, fundraising um, for investment funds, um, which, you know, in some cases, as, as you've mentioned, can be more impact focused um, than commercial banks. You pointed to such a great point, Grace. I mean, it's all about having all of the different kinds of um, commercial structures and financial institutions on the ground to fill the different types of needs uh, for different types of capital and commercial banks are key. They're fundamental, perhaps even some would say foundational, um, but 
Of course, we need the other kinds of vehicles and the PE and VC funds as well. So that said, Ian, um, I understand that Third Way has set up a permanent capital vehicle for you for ag investments into Mozambique. So I'd love to understand the background um, and why you decided that fund structure was more suitable uh, for Mozambique or frontier economies like Mozambique. Great question. So um, yes, just thanks for having me. Great to be here. Um, you know, Third Way Africa manages uh, several different vehicles. Uh, the one that you're bringing up is called the, the Rural Development Corporation. Um, and this is a, a permanent capital vehicle. It's, it's focused uh, on, on attracting very patient capital uh, to the region. And as the name says, is focused on rural development of the regions that we are we're investing in and the, the local communities that we're investing in. And I think that a, a permanent capital vehicle works really well for this type of investment. I think for kind of two primary reasons. One of them is the impact side of things uh, and the fact that we are committed to sustainably developing the communities in which we invest. And we need to guarantee a level of continuity in that impact over time. And so it makes more sense to invest over a much longer term horizon and essentially guarantee the same ownership structure. Uh, the other portion of things is what you, you sort of mentioned in the intro there is, is, is exits. Um, you know, in a place like Mozambique, there is not a developed secondary market. We barely have a public market. Uh, and so the idea of IPOing a, a, a rural agricultural investment in a place like Mozambique is essentially off the table. And then there aren't uh, essentially a, a really developed market of larger uh, private funds that are essentially looking to, to, to uh, acquire the types of assets that we're invested into. And so that essentially leaves you with management buyouts uh, or some sort of strategic acquisition. And those are both things that take a good deal of investment, uh, both from a financial investment as well as a timing investment to, to come to fruition in a place like uh, you know, rural Mozambique. And so we've just made the strategic decision that we would rather devote and deploy those resources uh, to the operations of our holdings. Uh, you know, I think that the huge value add of a private equity model in a place like Mozambique really is, is in the operational side. We're not, we're not doing much financial engineering. We're really uh, investing in what we think are our assets that over the long run are going to be highly valuable if we're able to inject a level of strategic and operational expertise into them. Uh, and so it allows us the ability to not only focus on investing in the operations, but also uh, focus more time and effort into our impact strategy, as opposed to, to investing resources into an eventual exit, uh, because we have a short-term time horizon. That makes um, a lot of sense, a lot of sense. Turning to another core sector, which is equally close to my heart as agriculture, which is energy. Um, obviously at SF, we focus a lot on energy um, and there's so much potential in Mozambique. While at the same time, I believe the, the rate of electrification is about 25%, Emmett, you can correct. Um, I know energy, the sector has gotten some of the highest foreign investment um, out of all sectors in the country, but what are you seeing as the challenges faced by enterprises on the ground and accessing um, these types of investment and how do these vary across stages, you know, early to mid to late stage enterprises? Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you for the question. And thank you one and all and to SunCalp for this opportunity to be here to engage on this topic. Um, I do right off just want to, before I, as a point of departure, um, before I give you my, my response, I would just like to maybe dovetail quickly with some, and some observations, you know, made by, made by all the speakers thus far. 
you know, the Mozambican market, whether we're looking at a specific sector or a subsector, so if we're looking at energy, renewable energy, or mini grids within renewable energy, we're talking about sectors that are commensurately, you know, rounding errors when we look at the regional markets, the African market on, the, on a broader basis, and these markets writ, writ large. So we're talking about, you know, purchasing power, you know, if we control for uh, GDP in Mozambique below 15 billion. If we look at the energy sector, if we look at the subsector of renewable energy within it, I mean, we're talking about very uh, tangible uh, projects, very tangible investments. Uh, and maybe just to highlight something, you know, a key focus that we need to look at across the you know sectors is at project development, looking at early, early stage handholding one of the you know the traits and the approaches in the, the modus operandi that I, I love in third way africa and one that we need to you know encourage and promote more across the board and i think we could get into some of the structural issues you know at play as, as far as the se sector of the service providers and i think you know grace you provoked a lot of specific issues uh but you know tara maybe just to get a, a you know quick response to your to your question which requires a lot of unpacking you know when, when we speak about renewable energy, when we speak about energy access in Mozambique, you asked, you know, what is energy access? You know, we're, we can punch around a lot of different numbers, 25%, 35%, you know, but the key objective is, is that right now we've taken on the commitment to reaching 100% electric, energy access or electrification um, by 2030, which is a tall order. And so if we look at just what the sector requires, not just in terms of transmission lines and distribution lines and household connections, but the range of different business models, distributed energy service companies, you know, energy access business models that are required. We also will require not just support from the donors or from government, but from the private sector also. And does that regulatory framework and that landscape exist in Mozambique? Do, do the capital actors, do the capital partners exist for incubating a, a nascent sector? You know, we can we can look to the to the parastatal utility in the context of Mozambique as being one of the key drivers in, in energy access, but we also need to have a diverse, uh, let's say, energy service provider sector that is comprised of private sector actors. And what does that take to incubate? You know, I love Harish's uh, presentation and the reports and some of the hard numbers that comes with it because we're not just looking at energy access; we're looking at the economy writ large. And a lot of the key lessons learned and a lot of the findings there, whether we're talking about agriculture, whether we're talking about energy access or renewable energy, you know, these are cross the, these are themes that are, you know, cross sectoral. Uh, so there's a lot, you know, that we can unpack in general, looking at, um, you know, just the general, let's say, business uh, landscape in Mozambique. But I'd love to focus specifically on what the opportunities are for energy access companies, renewable energy specifically. Uh, and we can look at the specific subsectors from IPPs to mini grid operators to, let's say, PAYGO operators. And so we can get very sector specific and we can also get just very generalized as, you know, as a general approach to the sector. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Emmett. Um, and then Sarah, also um, with your finger on the pulse on the ground, um, you, in addition to running a day lab, you're an angel um, and you can see Obviously, the flows of impact capital, but also local capital uh, from angels and funds in the ground. Where are you seeing the investor interest um, based on your your data ex day experience in the ecosystem? Thank you, Tara. Um, happy to be here and also contribute to these discussions. 
um, well, we, we Idea Lab specifically, um, we, we work with uh, emerging uh, companies and emerging initiatives. And um, obviously, one of the things that is lacking for these companies to, to, to grow is this access to capital. And in fact, it is almost inexistent uh, for them. So the grow, it's very slow and they need to bootstrap and reinvest in their business. So obviously this is a topic that is very interesting for me uh, and for the work we do. So when we run this uh, entrepreneurship pro uh, programs, we try to expose um, these companies to the, you know, to the society, to potential investors, to the different funds that exist and despite they being uh, small and small initiatives, there are some interest in some sectors. Obviously agriculture, uh, I'd say agriculture, fisheries and forests are a key um, uh, sector for the country and especially the youth, I can start seeing them very invo involved in looking for, for these sectors and bringing some innovative products uh, for them. Uh, not the sector by itself, not just agriculture, agriculture, but also some um, small uh, processing units for, for these products and, and specifically, and I can see the interest of some investors in, this, in these areas. Um, apart from that, uh, and, and one of the questions that emerged in this, this prior discussions were the, the logistics sector. Uh, where there is a big demand for, for, for this sector and where there is also a lot of uh, opportunities uh, in the sector. Uh, but going, Hamid is here and obviously you also recognize uh, and you already explained the opportunities in the green, um, in the green energy and the green business. Uh, we are fellows and in other initiatives uh, related to, to, this, uh, to this field. Uh, but I also want to bring here and what I see, uh, it's obviously that tech is a trend, uh, but tech it's also, um, I would say, a set, uh, initiatives that go along in the different sectors. And with this uh, COVID situation and the pandemic, there is a I see more and more interest, especially for the wealthy Mozambicans and looking for opportunities in the tech space, the agri-tech, the edu-tech, the fintechs. Um, yeah, it's a global trend, but here uh, in particular, because it can advance a lot of different things, there's been a specific interest for these initiatives that we are bringing from the, those sectors. Uh, tech basically, but uh, connected with uh, agriculture, education, um, and financial uh, uh, innovations that can bring and improve uh, the, 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 the lives of the Mozambicans, where I also think that is important for this impact uh, investment and this conversation that we are having here. Great points, and we're diving into some uh, pretty deep waters, and they're going to keep getting deeper as we understand more about everyone's sectors and work. Uh, but before we do that, before we go even deeper, thought I would uh, give a little break for a little bit of refreshment and comic relief. I believe that Sharu from IntelliCap has a fun poll we can do um, before we get back to the questions. Ooh, some trivia, some geography trivia. I will leave it to our attendees to answer. I will also answer. 
I'm very unsure about this one. I will share the correct answer in the chat or you can continue the conversation. <laughs> well, come on, Sharu, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the uh, correct answer is uh, six. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, uh, Sarah, going back to what you were saying, um, one of the things that I've seen in many countries is how local angels can really build the ecosystem so that more impact capital can come in. Obviously, they don't have the forex risk. They can do smaller and smaller tickets, which enables um, the local entrepreneurs who don't have the advantage of being able to bootstrap in euros, GBP, or dollar. They can enable them to get over that hump um, to the point where they're ready for capital from someone like SF uh, or then VC and PE, et cetera. Um, I understand that despite being around uh, for over over a year, about a year, um, there hasn't been that much local angel activity um, in Mozambique just yet. So I wanted to know what you think are the causes of that outside of, of course, the global pandemic that we're all recovering from, and how can we in the in the broader impact ecosystem um, improve? Um, the number of enterprises getting access to these funds? How, how can we help you all uh, building this local angel and early stage investment ecosystem, um, whether that's other kinds of catalytic capital that can de-risk or other ideas that you and your colleagues on the ground have been discussing? Yes, obviously COVID was a, a, a barrier, but it's not the, the major barrier for, for the angel activity. I, I would say that the... the um, there are two barriers. Obviously, one is the, the lack of uh, funds itself, but the other is also the lack of the, a proper framework for these things to, to be done. Um, and all the, um, the, yeah, the, the financial framework we were hearing here from, from you and from um, uh, Grace also that the Basically, the DFIs uh, bring these guarantees uh, to the bank guarantees. Um, and there is a reason why they do that. It's because the financial system itself, it's not uh, prepared to, to include other um, financial um, uh, opportunities and other instruments uh, and so on. So I think one of the things that are most important is also to is to 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 enable these other uh, uh, frameworks and these other opportunities to to come to the market and and be included. The financial system it's basically the banking system and all the other um, instruments are excluded in this conversation. So in one hand, we started a conversation with financial deepening Mozambique, the Ministry of Finance, uh, uh, the central bank, just an observer, um, to design a new framework. And we expect to have this until the end of the year, uh, a new framework for the capital markets. The reason, uh, and the stock exchange is also uh, in the process. So the reason why we joined these conversations is that we want to make sure that this new framework and these instruments can this framework can include the instruments um, uh, that we can use to leverage these early stage uh, initiatives and financing. 
uh, as AMBA, one of the, the, the initial things that we tried to do was to syndicate and, and bring you know, uh, our savings together and, and, and invest in the business. But there was no legal structure to, to do that. Um, so we want to make sure that by the end of the year, uh, something can, can, can come up, up uh, from, from these uh, studies and the discussions that we are having that can enable in this. Uh, one of the things that were also involved uh, as Idea Lab and uh, with, uh, with a donor, it's trying to put together um, grant, uh, grant innovation, uh, uh, returnable grant innovation funds. Wow. Uh, and it will be linked with one of the activities we are doing uh, on the entrepreneurship space. So directly bringing funding to those entrepreneurs we are supporting. But once more, uh, this initiative or, or, or the, the management of this fund has to be done by a bank, which uh, in one hand make it more uh, a commercial bank, which in one hand make it more costly to, to manage. Um, and in you know, the, the discussions and the operation of this vehicle is also uh, occurring and we're trying to figure out even with the cost of, of the bank what can we do to make sure that it's happening um, yeah and I would say here one of the things that we also do in our programs is to provide as much as grant prices as possible uh, obviously it's not for everyone we will have the winners we could access them but at least someone are able to have some startup capital uh, and some seeds capital to 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 take the the initiatives uh, forward. So there are different things that we are trying to do and, and put together to to make sure that early stage ventures have access to finance. It's interesting. A few years ago, I remember doing a market study um, on the Angolan SME finance market. Uh, and there were a lot of investors that were willing to do an SME fund there. And it was precisely the issue that you pointed out, uh, the lack of a legal framework that was set up for non-bank financial institutions that held that back. So it's delightful to hear that you all are working on it. And I really hope you can get it done in 2021. And I hope you'll keep everyone on the call um, abreast uh, because that can be so transformative for the market. Yes, we know uh, the banks are critical we also know that they're often requiring more than 150% collateral and charging more than 22 to 25% interest rates, which then affects um, the, you know, the OPEX and the financial sustainability of the SMEs uh, that are getting, that are lucky enough to be in the minority that get bank capital. Uh, so given this um, as a major, you know, financial uh, financial products barrier. Um, what do you think, Grace? Um, is this, are these kinds of products actually sustainable for the majority of companies, impact companies that are getting uh, bank loans? And if you think that that may not be the case for the majority, what do you think would be the most effective instruments to resolve these issues without distorting the market? We already know about um, the credit guarantees, but are there any other instruments that you all are thinking about uh, that start to provide alternatives and start to provide de-riskings that you want to give us some hints, previews, or samples of? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. The sustainability question is is so hard, right? Because on the one hand, the the interest rates, you know, being offered by commercial banks aren't sustainable for enterprises, but at the on the other hand, we know, you know, that grant funding long term isn't sustainable either. So how do you kind of square that circle. Um, but there is so much in between those two. Um, you know, obviously that's the whole blended finance conversation. And I think that kind of those in-between structures are, are um, a lot of what we're interested in. Um, so, you know, as a, as a DFI, we at the DFC have a financial toolbox, um, you know, debt and equity and insurance and guarantees. Um, but, you know, so not necessarily in, you know, direct grant making or returnable grants or things like this. But um, we can look at how we work as kind of a US government as a whole, um, working with USAID and some of their activities, um, which often have uh, some unique grant making structures. Um, the Millennium Challenge Corporation has a new compact in Mozambique under development that's going to have some interesting um, uh, components. Um, so really looking at how we can, can apply a suite of different tools in addition to some of our um, more straightforward financial tools. Um, but one model I, I want to highlight in particular that um, I think has a lot of potential, um, we recently used in frontier economies in West Africa and the Sahel region, so not Mozambique, but I think um, there's, there's some kind of degree of, of shared potential there, um, is combining our credit guarantee with um, the provision of first loss grant capital from the USAID West Africa Trade and Investment Hub. Um, so they provided a fund with investable grant capital um, to serve as first loss, but not be held in escrow to actually be able to be invested. Um, and then we provided our standard credit guarantee on any losses that occur um, past that first loss. Um, so this was a way to kind of combine providing um, investable capital to a fund um, while also providing multiple different levels of risk protection um, to attract additional investments to the fund and, and provide that necessary comfort um, in a market that, that is perceived to be highly risky. Um, so that was something we just did um, this past year and, and definitely a model that we're looking at uh, in, in other contexts as well. Um, and certainly, you know, outside of the guarantee, DFC provides direct debt financing um, to, to enterprises, to funds, um, you know, where USD debt makes sense, um, where entirely private sources of funding are unavailable or untenable, you know, we have the ability to offer longer tenors, more specialized repayment schedules, um, et cetera. Um, we're currently working on a, a direct lending opportunity in Mozambique um, with a highly impactful agribusiness um, that we're investing in alongside an impact investor. So. That's, that's something we're excited about. Um, and, you know, looking just continued for opportunities where we can deploy our products alongside a mix of other actors and offering different um, types of, of capital depending on the needs of the specific product. That is uh, super duper exciting. Um, and something else exciting, I believe we have another poll coming up from Sharu. Let's see the trivia. You would assume it would be Portuguese. <laughs> yes. Interesting to know. Um, Emmett, uh, going back to you, um, apart from the obvious challenges uh, that we're all familiar with, um, especially those of us who've either launched or supported startups, um, fundraising, um, also government support, human resources, 
And then in Mozambique specifically, there's additional issues such as the infrastructure problem with the roads, uh, electricity. In your view, um, what do you think are the most pertinent challenges for enterprises on the ground um, and the way forward in addressing them? Um, this can be for energy enterprises or it can also be um, broader. And if you have ideas for uh, donors, DFIs, foundations, and how we can better help address those issues, feel free to throw them out because there's certainly several of us on the call. Fantastic. Well, thank you for the question. Um, I just want to say, you know, really quickly, um, and just to trace back perhaps to our prior points, you know, the, and as we've all highlighted, the issues we face in the energy sector, you know, writ large are what we face in you know, all sectors, whether ag, whether in mining, whether the extractives. Um, I, you know, I just do want to highlight, you know, some specifics to the energy sector. And Mozambique is currently going through the process of overhaul of its electricity uh, regulatory framework as far as provision and for the engagement of the private sector. So there are specific, let's say, uh, let's say stars in the sky for us to look forward to in fo as far as an evolving regulatory landscape. Speaking specifically to sources of funding, and we've highlighted the, the role of donors, and often there is a very important role for the donors to play. I think in the context of Mozambique and the energy space, given it's a nascent sector, we need we require a lot of hand-holding and bridging between the donors and also commercial funding opportunities. I'd like to maybe cite two examples of concrete programs that are, you know, are fantastic examples and models that should be looked to. We have KFW's uh, Eco Ambiental line that goes through BCI, which provides access to capital at 15% uh, annualized rates uh, with very amenable terms as far as guarantees, uh, grace periods, and a range of other benefits. These kinds of funding opportunities are fantastic because they create that bridge for the private sector to be able to try and meet uh, the, the criteria and pass the due diligence of commercial funding entities. And I, I, you know, I dare say it is nice to try and baby and, and let's say um, coddle nascent sectors in the innovative spaces and the impact spaces too, but we have to hold companies to the same standards, due diligence, financial due diligence requirements when it comes to being able to get to commercial funding. And I say this specifically in the energy space where when we look at the energy access space or if we look at energy power generation uh, on the IPP basis, these are very formalized sectors. And us Mozambican entrepreneurs, we have to jump uh, to the rhythm, uh, so to speak, as far as meeting the, the criteria and the quality levels of international and regional competitors. So, you know, let's not make any excuses uh, for Mozambican entrepreneurs. I think what we need, to, what we do need is, and I think, I think Sarah has really highlighted the, 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 the requirements for an enabling environment for various actors, various funding programs and various models that facilitate, help incubate uh, these nascent sectors, but also help us develop uh, and meet the criteria so we can eventually meet uh, the terms for reading reaching a financial close on competitive, um, let's say capital on, an, on, a, on a larger basis. Um, so just to say specifically in Mozambique, you know, I did mention the BCI fund, which is a great example. In the on-grid space, we also have another program that is uh, sponsored by the European Union called ProLair, where this program has 
it's created a pipeline of fundable uh, programs whereby there's going to be a public auction for the private sector to bid on these specific projects. So this kind of, you know, let's say puts, reverses the problem, the process for project development, kind of de-risks the process for the private sector, and is an example of subsidizing, let's say, the risk uh, that is associated with project development in the renewable energy space in the context of Mozambique. So there's a lot of innovation at play. Uh, there's a large role for, you know, commercial financiers. There's a large role that is currently being developed by the, by the donor space. Um, we have examples of consumer and uh, subsidies in the PAYGO space, uh, developed by programs for, by GIZ, for example. Uh, so there is a lot of innovation, and it, this is definitely to be applauded. Uh, but I also do think we need to reconcile some of the, you know, the landscape issues that we've all highlighted that do make investing in the context of Mozambique a little bit more arduous, uh, let's say, writ large. Thank you. It's interesting because, um, you know, for a while the security situation was improving, then it was worsening. Um, there have been ups and downs in regards to security on top of all of the various business enabling environment challenges that you've mentioned, um, which is why uh, Third Way Africa, you don't have that many peers and colleagues, um, both um, Emmett and Grace um, and Sarah have pointed to the way that DFIs and donors um, and other ecosystem players are stepping in to help de-risk the sector. Um, I wanted to know from the perspective of uh, Third Way Africa, um, have you all have you all uh, been been participating in or seen um, any unique um, truly transformative models for um, catalytic capital to come in to do this de-risking? Um, and also, uh, what are, which kinds of de-risking do you think would be most necessary um, from DFIs, donors, and other catalytic capital, whether that's technical assistance, insurance? And also, are there any drawbacks? We, we know the upsides, but are there any drawbacks that donors and other uh, providers of catalytic capital need to be considering? Very big question. Let me see if I can do my best to, to answer this. Uh, if I could give a definitive answer, I, I think my pay grade would be much higher. Um, in terms of innovative financial products, I do think that we, we would like to see more kind of quasi equity instruments, more mezzanine financing in the market. Um, the, the idea of giving local companies the ability essentially to, to pay back, particularly in agriculture where your, your cash flows are really cyclical, to be able to essentially pay back when, when revenues are solid and when you actually have earnings to do so, as opposed to a debt product or as opposed to a purely equity product. The other thing that, that we find quite interesting is we're seeing, um, at least in the, the private markets, less in the impact space, are, are, are capital loans, which give funds like us the ability to borrow based off of investor commitments. Um, so in a traditional uh, you know, fund scenario where you essentially make a cash call when, when it's required and you, know, you to get 15 days to your investors to actually put the, the cash in that's required, um, in, injecting a debt instrument there that essentially allows the, the vehicle to borrow based upon having you know, blue chip or really solid investors. Uh, and then that can even push essentially those cash calls back a year or two in, in the funds, which obviously increases the IRR, IRR for those investors. 
And so there are a lot of interesting, you know, instruments in the market. I do feel like they tend to get tested out in the in private circles before EFIs are willing to jump on board, especially for the more uh, the, the more risky um, the, 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 the more risky uh, products. I think that the other the other side of thing is you know we oftentimes when we talk about catalyzing private capital we we talk about it in a product sense, and I think you know that that's important. There's a lot of good products in the markets, but we know that they haven't completely solved the 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 issue, which is we don't have uh, enough private capital uh, flowing into to high risk sectors into high risk geographies, and I think a part of that as well is looking at the overall donor ecosystem and not necessarily just the financial components. And, you know, for example, we, we do obviously a lot of investment in, in very rural areas. And I think that when we focus too much on the, the, the financial side of things, we, we, we forget about the fact that a lot of the risk that investors are concerned about is operational risk. And a lot of your role as an investor in particularly rural areas and underdeveloped areas uh, means that you're essentially putting a lot of service delivery and you're putting a lot of sort of development aspects on your own balance sheet. Mm-hmm. A lot of investors that are they're coming into sort of more rural environments don't recognize that as being the primary economic driver in a region, you're oftentimes also the, the primary driver for infrastructure and for electricity. Mm-hmm. And you're also the primary builder of schools. Uh, and you know, even for some of our investments in our farm investments, our ag investments, we're also the primary center for you know, resolving conflict, conflicts in the local area. And I think that we sort of underestimate all of that investment. And we under, underestimate the fact that a, you know, private sector in a lot of these places ends up becoming a stand-in for local government. Uh, and that makes investments significantly more risky. And I think that part of the solution there is, is not just you know, more tailored financial products that can de-risk, but is also coming at these investments with a more holistic approach and and allowing donors, especially donors that are investing in infrastructure to co-invest with with vehicles like ours and with the private sector. And I know, Abe, I think there's there's been a a level of reticence in doing that and not wanting to subsidize private sector returns. But I think that this is essentially what governments have traditionally done throughout history. Uh, and I think is a good role for, for the development community is to, to invest in that service delivery, specifically to communities and to areas that, that there is a high need for private sector investment. Is the long answer <laughs> to a, a very difficult question. No, it's not long enough, Ian. There's still so much that we wanna dig into, but just uh, in fairness um, to the questions that I know that will come from the group, I'll, we'll save that for another day and we'll let Sharu uh, give us another uh, quick poll. Uh, I've seen this question in the chat and I myself as a gender lens investor uh, was chomping at the bit to ask about this. Um, you know, Mozambique actually is doing really good when it comes to women's entrepreneurship and representation in government. Um, nearly half of the informal for firms are actually a majority owned by women. And although when it comes to the formal firm firms, it's much less, it's about 24%. Um, so you can see uh, the potential contributions to the uh, economy. I, I believe that, that if there were economic equity when it comes to uh, business ownership and um, the gender wage gap, uh, we'd add 12 trillion to GDP. So this is a, you know, at least a few billion 
um, at the national GDP level in Mozambique. So given all this, um, women entrepreneurs still do face a lot of challenges um, in accessing finance. Are there any initiatives that your firms are currently doing or that you've heard about in Mozambique um, that are actively tackling the gender angle, specifically improving women's access to finance and helping them scale? And this is to the whole panel. Yeah, I think kick us off. You know, through through the the two X challenge, I think DFIs as a whole have have made this a real commitment. Um, and here at the DFC, uh, it's it's an utmost priority for us. You know, setting ambitious targets and, and prioritizing projects that are owned by women, led by women, employ women, provide products or services that are uh, intended to empower women. Um, so basically every, every opportunity that we're looking at right now, we're looking at, at how it, it fits in that lens. Um, the agribusiness I mentioned earlier in Mozambique that, that we're looking at um, direct financing, that has a majority female workforce. That's something that's very important to us as we're looking at um, the impact of that potential transaction. Um, in addition, one of our existing credit guarantees um, with a microfinance institution in Mozambique specifically says that 50% of um, the loans under the guarantee must be for women borrowers. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense in, in this case to target that for microenterprises in particular, because as you know, uh, so many informal sectors is where we see um, so many women entrepreneurs. So ensuring that they get financing at that informal level, um, I think is critical to, to helping ultimately um, them to scale and formalize. Um, but it is frankly a struggle um, you know, for, for the MFI to even reach that target that we've set for them. Um, one thing that they tell us is that they often get enterprises coming for loans where, you know, they say, oh, well, we know this, this enterprise is owned by a woman, but it's her husband that's actually applying for the loan. Um, so it's, you know, there's a lot of other things at play here sometimes that I think just easy targets like we can put on don't necessarily um, address, but, but certainly it's, it's something that we um, care a lot about and we're trying to experiment in different ways to, to find how to be most uh, uh, impactful in, in addressing. Uh, have you seen any gender lens funds um, or initiatives that are being rolled out by larger financial institutions, whether it's banks or any of the VC or PE funds? In Mozambique specifically, I can't think of any. Some of my colleagues that, that are, in, are in country may know more, um, but definitely in other countries, I think it's, it's been a lot of, but I, I haven't seen it as much in Mozambique. And maybe some of the other panelists might know, so they can also chime in. Um, Emmett, Sarah, Ian, other yes. other things you've seen? Yeah, maybe I can add, um, you know, all these uh, credit lines and things, they also evolve and change. But I remember a particular time, uh, I think it was in 2016, uh, there were specific credit, uh, more available specific credit lines for, for women in the different commercial banks, they were pushing somehow for it uh, with very good conditions, uh, uh, I would say. Uh, and it occurred for two years maybe, and then suddenly things disappeared. <laughs> I personally was looking, uh, I remember having this opportunity, I applied for it, it was great, but then in certain point in time, it disappears, especially when the, the interest rates start becoming, getting very high. 
but I remember at that time and through our Femtech program, which is an acceleration program for women, I know that uh, um, most of these women that had part of the program during those years, they, they were able to access um, uh, these specific lines from, from the commercial banks. Uh, I, I believe that uh, probably a specific DFI uh, were working with the banks uh, and bringing those credit lines. I don't know who, because we just see the bank uh, uh, up front. Um, yeah, but I remember that uh, uh, at that time and, and that op those opportunities and that they serve a certain number of, of, of women uh, uh, um, and they were able to get it. So, but right now I can't mention uh, a specific product that is being used for, for them or for us. That is so interesting that it would disappear and also that it would have special interest rates and then just disappear into thin air. Um, uh, Emmett, Ian, any, any comments on this? Look, I would like maybe just to, you know, corroborate that there is a you know, a tendency for there to be trends in the, in, in the various sectors and for things to come in and out of fashion. Uh, but I also say there is a transition in the fact that a lot of these issues are also becoming cross-cutting. And so there's a lot of streamlining or is it mainstreaming, you know, let's say of gender issues uh, across various initiatives. But not to say that, you know, these issues have lost, uh, let's say their weight or their importance in this current juncture. I will say that part of it is what's important is changing the narrative. And a lot of the work that Idea Lab does is about really highlighting and focusing in on the, on the, on the, on the few and maybe the rare uh, case studies and actors that really do provide a frame of reference uh, just beyond just being case studies uh, to inspire the rest of us in some cases. Uh, as an association, I will say, you know, the, while we can't provide the actual financial instruments and target them specifically uh, with a, you know a, addressing gender concerns, uh, one one activity initiative that we have strived to promote and continue to do so is to focus on the 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 case studies, the profiles of specific individual professional women who operate in the renewable energy space writ large. And one classic example of a partner organization that kind of uh, sim symbolizes and emblemif uh, emblemifies, let's say, this kind of initiative is uh, Mozambique Women in Energy, which mm -hmm. is a group of Mozambican professional women uh, across the energy space, where there is a subset of focus in the energy, in the renewable energy focus. And to be honest, a key driver of innovation in the energy space as a whole departs from innovations and, and a more evolved discourse uh, that pertains to renewable energy. Uh, so mm -hmm. here we have a case study of an association that has direct linkages with us as an association uh, that is doing a lot of work at championing uh, the specific narratives of professional women in the space. And I think, you know, this goes towards a larger discussion that we haven't really, you know, fully dug into, but I think we've addressed writ large is the question of local content development. And so when we talk about human resource development and really building the actual technical capacity uh, and the ecosystem, you know, focusing on women's entrepreneurial development and promotional development is, you know, a key focus of that. And associations and entities like this, 
you know, are actually, you know, cornerstone enablers in this space, you know, so I'd love to like highlight those initiatives and say, you know, it's more of these kinds of professional associations uh, and initiatives that we need in the space. Thank you. Uh, really fascinating. I've taken a note of it. And also um, something that you all might find interesting in the future, there is a growing convergence of gender finance and climate finance. In fact, one of the things that we're looking at for the future is uh, for our investees, is it possible to bring the two together, i.e. monetizing their gender impact and their, um, their greenhouse emissions reductions? Uh, so that's just something that when you mention these parties that are at the intersection of energy and gender, uh, that uh, opportunity and that convergence could be particularly interesting as well. Um, I know that that was a bit academic, so I'm going to um, also segue into another fun poll from Sharu from Intellicrap. I think this would be the last one for all the people here. Let's see how much you know about how beautiful the country is. Yeah, beach as it is. <laughs> Correct. Uh, you guys have me very jealous calling in from foggy, cold London today, but I hope you enjoy your 80 miles of coastline um, with a lot of grudging jealousy <laughs> saying that. Um, some questions from the audience, guys. Uh, this first one will be also to the entire um, panel. Um, our, our guest wants to know, about innovation and specifically uh, the context of innovation and replication. So investors are often talking about innovation when it comes to startups, but in economies such as Mozambique frontier economies, um, do you all think that replication may be a more um, successful or more priority strategy, i.e. taking successful enterprise models from other developing countries and then retrofitting or contextualizing for Mozambique? Anyone on the panel can answer this one. I just want to applaud this question and say in the context of Mozambique, uh, you know, people always, you know, people often uh, are, say this in one shape or another, you know, we don't need to invent the wheel, we just need to put four by four on it for the Mozambique context. We don't need a lot of innovation, we just need to be able to operationalize. And in the context of Mozambique, when we talk about business development, you know, this is not about pie in the sky, you know, thinking, this is about practical, how do we take ideas off the paper? and breathe life into them and operationalize them in the context of Mozambique. So, you know, I, I definitely applaud this line of engagement and say, you know, we have to keep things to basics. And I'm sure Sarah has, you know, a lot to add on that point, actually. Uh, thank you. Unless Sarah wants to go, I also have a, a, some thoughts on that. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with Emmett. I think that this also dovetails well with the, the comment he had about local content um, and the fact that, you know, we are oftentimes when we're discussing local content, which is essentially how do you increase the amount of Mozambican workforce and Mozambican goods and service providers uh, that can essentially tap into the LNG ecosystem up north and so all of that investment ecosystem. And I, and I think that we are unfortunately uh, doomed if we're too high in the sky. What we really do need to be thinking about is, you know, our, our, our core industries here, um, we can look to a lot of other examples where they've had huge wins. We're not at the point where we're developing a tech ecosystem in Mozambique. Uh, we're, we're really focused on agriculture, really focused on, on, on construction. Uh, there's a lot of sort of, you know, old school industries uh, and, and industrials that we still need to be investing in that are going to be large job creators. 
And I think that we can look at neighboring countries and other successes and, and leverage those examples. I think that there's a room probably for innovation as, as well as for, for, for you know, repetition. But I, I think that there's probably uh, a healthy injection of, of taking a look at, at what others have done and where they failed and succeeded that we should be, we should be taking into account. Thanks, Ian. Any others? Uh, I would say that innovation is key, even for the more um, um, traditional, uh, as Ian was saying, even for the traditional uh, industries, because we need to accelerate. We need to do things fast. We, we are far, far um, beyond all this uh, um, enterprise development. So we need to find ways of doing um, things differently, uh, quicker, and with less res uh, the, the less resource possible because we don't have, as we're seeing here, we don't have the resources we need to do. Um, so I, I, I really, to, to the work we were doing, this is what we were trying to push, uh, bringing uh, innovative um, ideas, uh, concepts, uh, even if they are being applied some, somewhere. So uh, replication, yes, but uh, with a lot of focus on how we can accelerate things here because we are very far, far behind. Uh, Grace, any comments or? No, I think my fellow panelists really covered it. I think, um, you know, it's as much as we can, can bring in proven, you know, enterprises, but also proven financial strategies, financial products from other markets that are similar. Hmm. Um, that's, I think, an, another area where, where we can learn so much um, and don't need to be reinventing the wheel. Um, but, but certainly, you know, it's, it's a combination. I think all of the above is, is what's needed at this point. Um, this next question is for Sarah, but I'm actually going to extend it to the entire group because we've all given unique you all have given unique perspectives on a variety of different relevant financial instruments. Uh, so the participant was saying, Sarah, you spoke about returnable grants, but do you think that's the most effective and sustainable instrument? Um, and how do you think implementation of returnable grants uh, would be most successful, whether that's through incubators managing a fund or grant competition? I'd love it if everyone can weigh in on um, repayable grants, um, as well as other instruments that they're seeing um, being most critical going forward um, and any caveats they wanna add about those instruments. Thank you, Tara. Uh, I in fact uh, replied the, the question in the chat, but we can, uh, uh, I can tell that, at this moment, I really don't know what is more effective because I think that we need to test these different uh, instruments and approach mm. and see how they work. Uh, we are having this discussion. Uh, I believe that in the next few months, we'll have something uh, specific related to this incubator we are managing. Uh, the idea is to the, the fund to be managed by a, a commercial bank, obviously with the fee to, to uh, to cover their cost, uh, not with the, 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 the incubator, not in the incubator, but uh, the, I think that the, 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 that is not also the, the, the work for the incubator to do unless they, they have a steering committee that can mm. uh, look and review all these applications. Uh, but the, AJ, AJ Kumar was also uh, proposing here 
we do a lot of competitions uh, where the prizes are grand. So th this work, but we need to have uh, more cash available to distribute, let's say, usually very small amounts, but that can allow the companies to, to give a small step or um, get a license or um, uh, that enables them to, to move and, and going into a, a, a second step on the, in progress in, the, in their business. Um, the, the other thing that uh, uh, Jacob Mar was uh, proposing also here uh, was if the, the, um, the incubators should manage, I don't think so. Or uh, if they're, did, how these returnable brands uh, would work, obviously you have to have someone to manage and make sure that the, the incubator can uh, bring a different component here is that because they know the business, they know the people and they have this close relationship with them even after that. Uh, and through business advisor, we can triangulate the business advisor, the, the, the fund manager, and the entrepreneur and make sure that the, 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 the risks of the business are de risked in terms of management uh, and, and, and be there for, to, to try to control things and make sure that things work. I was hoping that we could uh, get answers from all of the panelists, but I see that we're at two uh, to session close. And so I wanted to be sure that um, I would be able to hand this back over to um, Harish and Sharu. But first, I wanted to thank you all for an absolutely fascinating conversation. You all are doing so much for the Mozambican ecosystem, and it's been really enjoyable. And I hope there'll be more opportunities for us to, for us to continue learning from each other um, and for all of the attendees to reach out to us so that we can continue to support that ecosystem together. And with that, uh, thank you to IntelliCap for convening this session. And I'll hand it back over to you, Harish and Sharu. Yes, uh, thank you so much, uh, Tara. Thank you, everyone, uh, for uh, being a part of the session. Uh, thank you, speakers, uh, for agreeing to take part in this uh, conversation. Uh, I'm sure this is just a start, at least from IntelliCap's perspective. Uh, this is just the start of our uh, focus on uh, frontier economies. Uh, I mean, we would uh, strive to uh, uh, develop more and more uh, research on uh, frontier economies. Uh, Thank you, Flaubert, uh, for uh, well uh, trusting us uh, with this uh, engagement. Uh, we would uh, come back, come, uh, come out with a public-facing uh, report very soon. I mean, uh, we are in the process of designing it, and uh, we would uh, release it uh, probably in the next month or so. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for and uh, looking forward to catching up with you uh, once again. I will be on touch on uh, email. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.